0: good morning well it's a real treat to be with you at Crossroads Church I've been looking forward to this for a long time and I hope that I have an opportunity to come back in the future and uh, get an opportunity just to see you all in person Um, I work at Calvin Seminary as you heard and working at Calvin you do hear about churches in the Grand Rapids area and you are definitely on the list of one of those churches to watch Uh, you have a wonderful congregation and amazing leadership. These uh, last three weeks of quarantine um, and it's the economic crisis that has gone with it and now these racial conflicts, it's amazing. These things have revealed to us, I think, what is important. Um, We closed the doors at Calvin Seminary on March 10th and they are still closed today. Everything is online. We have Zoom fatigue. Uh, We are tired of looking at computer screens. Um, We miss the usual routines. We miss lunch with friends. We miss seeing people that we work with. At home, we find ourselves kind of paralyzed into a routine we don't really like. It seems like some days around 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you begin imagining, what are we going to make for dinner? That's the great event of the day, where you start thinking already about what new thing you can stream on Netflix. Anyway, it's interesting, Uh, it's miserable, I think, and it's kind of like living in a cultural desert. We miss the important things. Now, excuse me, it has forced us to wonder. It's forced us to wonder what is really important. What's important to us, food, our friendships, the church, the communities that we are in, I mean, my own kids who live in Grand Rapids, they had an interesting experience last week. Remember how hot it was? Well, at the beginning of the week, their air conditioner went out. Great, and they have two primary school children. And then their TV broke. So think about it last week. No television, no no air conditioning. So talk about being in a desert. This is their life. And so therefore, here you are in this quarantine, this desert. And you have to ask yourself, what really matters? So for the beginning weeks of this whole thing, we began to think what really matters is making sure that there's food on the shelves at Meijer, or that you've got enough toilet paper, or you've got enough hand sanitizer. But that all seems to have gone away now. Now this is our routine. Food seems to be fine, Costco seems to have a mountain of TP, and the breweries are all making hand sanitizer. So the question now isn't, are you going to survive? The question now is, how will you flourish? You know, you can feed your body, but you also have to feed your soul. And that's the question I hope that this COVID period is going to bring to our minds. I had my own fun COVID experience about 10 days ago. Um, I developed a cough about 10 days ago and it still is there a little bit. And uh, my wife said to me, well, are you kidding? You've got to call the doctor. So I called the doctor, it was just a little cough, right? And so my doctor said, we're going to examine you in one hour. (laughs) Get down here, fine. So then I went to the doctor's office and there they had all of the full protective equipment on, the face shield, the whole thing. Then she says to me, you're going to the hospital to get a COVID test. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Okay, next step. (laughs) So there I was down at Mercy Health getting my COVID test. Well, you know, it's an interesting experience because they do this very uncomfortable test on you. And then they say, we'll let you know in 24 hours. Now that 24 hour period is a remarkable period. Because here you are surrounded in the media by all of these images of crises inside of the hospital and you're thinking to yourself, either I'm going into that crisis or I'm okay. Well, I got the email about 24 hours later and I was negative and I think that for me it was one of those touches with reality an awakening here in this mess that I've never had before. So the question I hope that comes out of this COVID time for me is how is it that I'm going to flourish? How are you going to flourish? How are you going to feed your soul in a time of COVID desert? Now, you have been studying John chapter 6, and John chapter 6 is about feeding your soul. So let's explore it just a little bit more And I'd like to bring you to the end of chapter 6 so that you can see how the entire chapter is together, weaves together. Now in John chapter 6, we learn that it is the Feast of Passover. That's chapter 6, verse 4. And if you have a Bible nearby, it'd be really great for you just to open it to John chapter 6 and you can follow along with me. So it's springtime. um, It is Passover time. And every Jewish family knew all of the details about Passover. They recited them every year at this time. They knew about Israel's captivity in Egypt. They knew about Moses and Pharaoh. They knew about the 10 plagues there in Egypt. They knew about Passover and how the angel of death came over all of the homes of Egypt on the 10th plague. They knew about their exodus or their departure from Egypt and how they went through the sea and God opened the waters. They escaped and they went into the desert And for three months, God took care of them as they went all the way down to Mount Sinai. So for 40 years, they were in the desert. And of course, God fed them miraculously with, as it is described, bread from heaven. So God fed and he led his people in the desert. That is the story of Passover. It is a dramatic departure out of Egypt a movement through the sea, and then God sustaining us through this unimaginable desert experience. So when you read John chapter 6, what you have to do is have in the back of your mind this backdrop of everything that is in the Passover story. Now there are three things to watch for inside of this story. There are three episodes actually in John chapter 6, and each of them contribute to this backdrop of Passover. And let me remind you of some of them just quickly. First of all, in the first 14 verses, remember that there is that feeding miracle where Jesus feeds these 5,000 people. And what he does is he hands them all sit like sheep on grass, and then he feeds them miraculously. You know that story. And then in verse 14, the crowd observes this and says, this must be the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, you just can't skip over verse 14. It is a key that unlocks that whole section. It is directly from Deuteronomy chapter 18, and it's one of the promises of Moses. When Israel was worrying about Moses' departure, Moses said, don't worry because another prophet just like me is going to come. And throughout the history of Israel, they concluded that that is the Messiah who's going to arrive. So therefore, as the crowd is watching Jesus distribute this miraculous bread, they begin to think about the miracle of Moses. When rabbis in Jesus' day talked about the greatest thing that Moses did, they said it was the manna miracle. Personally, I would have thought the 10 plagues with Pharaoh, that was pretty cool. Or even opening the sea, pretty amazing. No, the consensus was 40 years of heavenly bread given to us through the prayers and supplications of Moses. Now, the rabbis also tried to explain how this whole phenomenon of manna actually worked. Here's what they imagined. They imagined that in heaven there was what they called the treasury of heaven. It was a box, imagine it that way, a beautiful ornate box and every morning that box would open and it would close because it was filled with divine bread, heavenly bread, and when it opened the bread would descend and the manna would appear there around the tents of Israel. Now when Moses led the Israelites up to the Jordan River and they began to enter the promised land, the treasury of heaven closed permanently. And the rabbis had to answer the question, how is it will we ever see the treasury of heaven open again? And the answer commonly given was, the only one who can do it is the one who is like Moses. He will reopen the treasury of heaven. So you will know the Messiah has come when you see that treasury reappear. So the crowd looks at Jesus, feeding them miraculously, and they're asking themselves, is this the Moses returned? Is this the Messiah that we've been looking for? The second story inside of this long story in chapter six is this miracle on the sea. Well, after the crowd sees that Jesus has fed them so miraculously, they go into a frenzy. In fact, in verse 15, it says they want to make Jesus a king by force. Jesus heads for the mountains. The apostles get on a boat. They go out into the sea. They want to escape. Then when they're out at the sea, on the Sea of Galilee, a storm comes up. They're afraid. Jesus meets them by walking across the sea, and he says, have no fear. Do not have any fear. It is I. Now, I have to tell you something a little technical right there because when Jesus approaches them and he says, it is I, he in Greek is saying, I'll tell you the Greek, it is ego a me. Okay, that's the Greek for uh, I am, it is I. But that is the title of God given in Greek throughout the Old Testament. Yahweh means I am, it is I. And so therefore, Jesus approaches them by giving God's own name. Now, this business of walking on the sea is taken right out of the Psalms. Let me read to you a beautiful description of that opening of the sea from Psalm 77, verse 16. Here the Psalm says, the waters saw you, God, the waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed when they saw God coming to the water. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Arrows flashed back and forth. That's lightning. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked, and your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So therefore, Israel understood that when the sea opened, God actually was leading them on the sea, and his footsteps could not be seen. So Jesus now appears again on the sea, just as it had happened in the Passover. The third story in this set of stories now takes place in the village of Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. This is the heart of the story. The apostles, now joined by Jesus, take their boat and they pull up to Capernaum. The crowd that had been so frenzied on the other side of the lake, they meet them there at Capernaum and the crowds want clarification. What is going on here? What have we seen? Their words, if you look at verse 31, are clear. They're asking, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they know about the manna story, and they're asking themselves, Have we just seen manna? Is this bread from heaven? Have you duplicated Moses' greatest work? The key verse from Jesus is in verse 27. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Now, when you look inside of the Old Testament and you ask yourself, well, what is it that was really happening in that manna story inside of the Old Testament? Moses explains it in Deuteronomy chapter 8. This conversation in the Capernaum synagogue is all coming out of Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8. And let me just read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Remember how the Lord, Moses writes, how the Lord God led you all of the way in the wilderness these 40 years. He did this to humble and test you in order to know what was really in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands, he humbled you causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had ever known, to teach you that a person does not live on bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What will sustain you in the desert, therefore, is not simply manna, but it is the God who sends you that manna, There is something to be discovered behind the manna, and that is what Jesus wants everyone to see here on the hillside. So therefore, here in the Old Testament, the deeper need of Israel and the deeper need of the crowd of Capernaum is not simply food. It is not simply bread, though their instincts are to go and get bread. Instead, it is bread from heaven. That's what they need to seek, bread from heaven that gives them eternal life. Now, Jesus takes the story further than one could ever imagine. Because anyone who knew the great Moses story would have never thought that Jesus would make this move. Here in the Capernaum synagogue, Jesus says something that Moses never said. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Moses had always been known for what he did with manna, but now Jesus is saying, it isn't about me giving you manna, it is me about giving you myself. So Jesus says, in effect, The treasury of heaven that we described earlier, indeed the treasury of heaven has opened, manna has fallen, you've seen it on a hillside in Galilee, but when the treasury opened, I fell out. That's the remarkable idea. Jesus is not simply the engineer of the treasury of heaven, he is the content of the treasury of heaven. And so, therefore, Jesus is not just a supplier of food. He is food itself. Now, in the Old Testament story around Passover, do you remember in the desert people started grumbling and murmuring and all of that kind of thing? Notice in verse 41, that's exactly what starts to happen. The crowd says, look, we would love to have someone to supply us with food. But you know what? You have just gone a bridge too far. You're saying that you are food, and they begin to murmur. Probably the most critical words that we have in this whole story begin at verse 47. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a person may eat, And not die. So there is bread that gives life, and there is heavenly bread that gives eternal life. But Jesus is not content to leave it there. He presses the crowd to its extreme. He said, though, if I happen to be bread, the question now becomes how do you consume that bread? What do you do? Look at verse 52. There was a dispute among the Jews. How can he give us his flesh to eat? Are you kidding? How do we eat Jesus? What is this about? And Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. There is no parallel to that language in any Jewish literature, beginning with Moses and moving right up to Jesus. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. For my flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. What in the world? We eat bread. It sustains us. Jesus is bread. So how do we eat Jesus? Now, taking this literally, of course, leads to foolishness, and no one has ever gone that road. This is either a dramatic, mysterious symbol, or has been said throughout the history of the church, Jesus is alluding to something the crowd and the disciples can barely understand. Jesus is giving a direct hint to that place where he will be the supplier of heavenly bread and heavenly drink, and it's going to come through the cross, through his body and his blood, and the only place that is given to us as a gift is in the Lord's Supper. Now, if the crowds were murmuring before, now the disciples start murmuring. Verse 61, look at that. Now everybody is murmuring. This is asking more than anyone can take in. This is impossible. And if you look at verse 63, you've got the key to what the answer is. Jesus says in verse 63, he said, it is the spirit that gives life, the flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So therefore, it isn't about the materiality of things that makes any difference here, but it's the way in which this divine bread can usher to you the spirit of God and a direct connection with Christ himself. In the Lord's Supper, it is not about getting bread and wine. It is about encountering the spirit when the table of the Lord is served before us. Now look carefully at what Jesus has done. There is a kind of escalating thing going on here and I want you not to miss it. He begins by feeding the 5,000 and it's an astonishing feat. Jesus, the great deliverer of food. Then we discover that Jesus is a new Moses. And then we discover that Jesus is greater than Moses because he brings divine heavenly bread that gives eternal life. And then we discover that Jesus is the bread of life. And then we are told at the highest level, you have to consume Jesus. You have to intake into your life the spirit-given power of Christ's own life. Wow, that's a ladder to climb. There are some of us who simply spend our lives thinking about bread. Jesus wants us to think about heavenly bread and how we will find it in Him. Look at verse 66. Even the disciples begin falling away. They cannot handle this. But Peter, the man of the moment, steps forward and he says in verse 68 Lord, where are we going to go? To whom shall we go? You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. John chapter 6 presses us to answer one question. And I think it presses you to answer this question along with me. The question is, what feeds us? What is it that gives us a flourishing life? What feeds you? I can organize my entire life about the accumulation of bread on hills in West Michigan. Or here in this quarantine, I can ask myself, beyond basic bread, how am I consuming Christ? How am I feeding my own soul? What is it that I am seeking? That's the question I have for myself in quarantine. I find myself thinking about bread. I find myself thinking about Netflix. I find myself thinking about TP, can you believe it? And sanitizer. COVID should be teaching us about what really matters. We want our souls to flourish. We don't want to stay on a hillside in Galilee. We want to move into the Capernaum Synagogue And listen to Jesus offer a divine meal. It is so easy right now to live looking for distraction and entertainment. It is so easy to live right now looking for distraction and entertainment and simply waiting till it's over can be that. But here Jesus wants to attend to the diets of our hearts. Jesus wants us to attend to the diets of our souls. Jesus wants to ask, in your pursuit of bread, have you forgotten to feed your soul? And his most poignant example of this is when we come to his table. And at that table, we are given bread and wine. And in that table, we are reminded of the great gift of his flesh and blood at the cross. Rod and Libby are going to come and serve us communion now. Make today... Make today the beginning of something new for you. Make today's bread and wine to be more than ordinary food. Begin now caring for your soul and recognize that in this time of quarantine, God may supply us with lessons we never expected. Pray with me if you would. Lord God, we ask that you would humble us in this period of desert duress. And Lord, we pray that you would feed us at your table, not simply with bread and wine, but you would feed us at this table with heavenly food. Lord, our souls need bread from heaven. We ask you to serve us in Christ's name. Amen. Wow. What a, what a beautiful picture to think about that treasure.